KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power is presenting Indian fusion band Red Bharat, mixing Indian bhangra rhythms, hip-hop, and funk music, March 23rd at the Epstein Family Amphitheater. Tickets and information about upcoming concerts and events at artpower.ucsd.edu. Welcome back to another edition of the KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm Beth Accomando. Judy Garland got together in a movie to rally a group of kids together to put on a show. Well, moviegoers knew what was coming. I'm going to write a show for us and put it on right here in Seaport. It might be the most up-to-date thing these hicks around here have ever seen. Opening night, we'll have Max Gordon, Sam Harris, Lee Schubert down to give us the once-over. How about it, kids? We'll get every kid in this town on our side, and we'll start right now. What do you say? Right if Mickey and Judy were geeks, they'd be putting on a Hobbit's version of Les Mis or a Star Wars take on The Phantom of the Opera. So today, I'm going to take you behind the scenes of a pair of geeky musical mashups from a group called Turning Tides that'll be putting on a pair of plays outside of Comic-Con next week. But time for your training to end. I say you are a Jedi. But Master, is Darth Vader truly my dad? Father, he is him. You are not. But what does that mean for my complex character arc? <laughs> yeah. Judy and Mickey and Leia and Luke, you know, the whole gang's here, so. <laughs> That's Jamesy e. Bear, theater critic for the San Diego Union Tribune, and is just one of the theater critics charmed by the Phantom of the Empire. One thing that was really impressive, because here you have a show that I think is barely an hour long, and it's, it's covering an entire three-movie trilogy. So how do you do that? You know, that's a lot of material. And I thought that the lyrics really did a great job of referencing the things that you have to reference in a, in a Star Wars-related show. You know, you've got Boba Fett, and you've got, obviously, Darth Vader, and you've got uh, Lando Calrissian. You know, you have to sort of speed through all these plot points and all these characters. So it was clever in the way that the show um, found its path through all that material and still did justice to it without really skipping anything. You know, to me, both Star Wars and Phantom of the Opera are, they operate on such a heightened emotional level, um, which is part of the point. They're both, they're both operatic in their own way. So I felt as though this piece really went for those big emotions, but uh, did it in a way that was, was really, it was Kind of poking fun, but it was also paying tribute to just how much fans of, of both sort of uh, obsess about Star Wars and about Phantom of the Opera and how much they really love these, uh, these two shows. The two things that they're actually mashing, they're able to balance and juggle enough of it so that we recognize it, but also overlay music with it, which is, I don't know if they realize how clever that is. Chris Etlin is the theater critic at San Diego Story, an online publication covering the arts in San Diego. They really could sing. Now, I think that's probably where you have to draw the line, is that you can only be so funny if you can't sing well it can really start to wear on you after an hour. But their singing was very good, and so that was made you, you know, love them even more. Ewoks, they're so cute, but beware, they'll chew your faces off if you should anger them. did you get the door? It's too hard, I need more time. We've got trouble, hurry up. It's clear we've been set up. <laughs> Howlingly funny. I mean, just don't forget that. Why'd you have to be so brave? 
I think it'd be fun in really in any galaxy, really. <laughs> so for this podcast, I want to introduce you to Turning Tides. I had the opportunity to see one of their productions at the Fringe Festival last year. It was Les Midge, a mashup of The Hobbits and Les Miserables. It was hilarious. So here's my discussion with three of the key players of Turning Tides. I'll let them introduce themselves. I'm Summer Blinko, and I'm co-founder and marketing and administrative director for Turning Tides. Shane Ruddick Allen, director of new project development for Turning Tides. Jordan Hall Campbell, and I am the artistic director and co-founder of Turning Tides. We really started just a couple years ago. We started at Fringe the first year with a show called um, Medusa's Tale, which is a radio show that we converted for the stage. And this was before we were really a company. We all just kind of got a bunch of friends together and decided to throw it up there. Enjoyed it so much. As soon as Fringe was over, we started thinking, what can we do next year? And I knew my friends up in L.A., um, Eric Phillips and Robbie Pierce, had written a 10-minute sketch. They do sketch comedy up at um, I.O. West. And it was a 10-minute sketch they entitled Les Midge, which was they just rewrote like two of the songs, and it was all making fun of The Hobbit to the music of Les Mis, Les Miserables. There's a book filled with description Where sentences run on and on Tiny chairs at tiny tables Now my friends are dead and gone <laughs> And we had all gone to college and they'd, they'd talked about it for years and they finally made it somewhat of a reality. So I reached out to them, said, hey, how would you guys feel about lengthening this out, making it a show, and we're going to take it to Fringe next year? And they were so awesome. They jumped on, jumped on board. Um, we would throw them out. We need another song for the dwarves. Put it to this song. Get it to us in a week. Um, and they're so great. We even threw one at them last minute. They wrote it, sent it to us the morning we were recording. So we all learned it the morning we recorded and got it on the album. And then they have their own stuff. Um, Eric works at Netflix and Robbie just got hired by a new press agency. So we they were kind of like, sorry, we're busy. So we all looked at each other and we're like, well, we want to keep going. So Shane kind of had the idea. He was like, we need to do something with Star Wars because that new Star Wars movie is coming out. So all these ideas came out and finally he was like, oh, Phantom of the Empire. And we just knew that it was going to be fantastic. I hear you in my mind and in my soul. Come join me, Luke. We'll rule the world. But I will not concede. I will not hide. Phantom of the Empire, I won't let you inside. So then we all looked at Summer and said, hey, you write. You're in college. You write papers and things. <laughs> um, and basically threw it at her. And she had it written in two months? Three months. Three months. We workshopped it for about four months probably, four months probably into the rehearsal process. And then it all kind of came together. And that was kind of our first attempt at writing. 
It wasn't our, uh, Les Midge was our first attempt at doing the producer, director side of it, but Phantom was our first full group internal writing and all that, and we couldn't be more thrilled with the success that it got at Fringe. So are you guys all performers outside of this? Do you work in theater? Uh, what do you do? Because you guys have, like, great voices. So, you know, when you see something that's, oh, it's going to be this spoof on Star Wars using Phantom of the Opera or this spoof on The Hobbit, you think, oh, you know, maybe it's going to be people who aren't that well-trained or something, but you guys are. Uh, yeah, I'm a college graduate with a degree in theater. Uh, many of the other people involved in this production are uh, you know, have degrees in it, have studied theater. Uh, we take a lot of pride in the quality of our performances. I think it would be easy for us to just go and present a mediocre product as far as the singing and as far as the music goes and just get people based on the funny costumes and the jokes and the, you know, the recognition of like, oh my God, Star Wars. Like, I think we could have done just fine without putting as much work as we did into the singing. But we are very, very serious about theater. We're all real performers. I've worked professionally. A few of us have worked professionally. And we take a lot of pride in putting on something that not only looks great and makes people laugh, but is it sounds great. And the lyrics are clever. And they're, they're actually well written. And something that people will buy the cast album because it sounds great. And it's not they're not going to listen to it. And it's just screaming and sounds like crap. So that's very important to us. And I'm glad that people appreciated the work that we put into making it sound as good as it looks and as good as it makes people laugh. Yeah, and we're just lucky that all these actors have decided to dedicate to these projects because, like Shane said, they all work elsewhere. I mean, we all have day jobs and we're doing theater elsewhere. I music direct and I also act in shows. Shane was in two shows during the course of this. Summer music direct, she was in another show. And half of our cast is in Patio Playhouse's Beauty and the Beast right now. So we've really lucked out and really we're lucky to have such talented actors because our rehearsal schedule is Saturday mornings from 9 to noon, 2 if we're lucky. So we don't even get weekdays. Um, we've been working on this since January of this. The rehearsal process started in January. We do every other Saturday for about three months, and then it becomes every Saturday. Oh, that's Boba Fett. Boom. Right here is all your music. But like I said, the idea for Boba Fett is that he's cool, he knows he's cool, but he's also a douche, and so like people who don't like Boba Fett, like when he does this thing, it's just enough to make them go, oh gosh, here he is again. Like so, just enough of a douche that he's not cool anymore. <laughs> we don't have props. Next week we'll work on set changes with our new people. That'll be our goal next week. We just need, we just need the Millennium Falcon. So we're lucky that we have actors that are so talented and so dedicated that they really do all the work on their own, and then we come and we just play with it. And we, and we turn it into what you get to see when we finally put it on stage. I'd like to just piggyback what, off sh uh, what Shane said. For me, you know, I, I, I row about 95, 90, 95% of the show with, with uh, Jordan and Shane. And while the content of the show is really important and, you know, we worked really hard on making it as good as it could be, for me, I'm a singer first and foremost. Singing is what is what I do. It's my passion. And uh, for me, it was really important that the show sounded like something that that was so polished and rehearsed. And it's like, we take this seriously, even though we're doing ridiculous things. I was a Jedi Knight before you were born. 
I'm the Phantom of the Empire, but also Luke. I am your, your father. Dad, the Part of the the comedy too is you're you're singing about these ridiculous things, but it's so serious and it's like you can't your mind like can't put the two things together. It's like they sound so good. Why are they singing about a Death Star? You know, it's it's that juxtaposition that I think just really hits home for a lot of people. And you guys also nail the trivia kind of aspect of this. I mean, if you come to see this and you're a fan of Star Wars, you will be satisfied that you guys know the material. So were you? do you consider yourselves fans first? Yeah, absolutely. We're fans. Um, you know, we've, we've all talked to people that are like, why are you doing that to Star Wars? That's blasphemy. Why would you want to do that? And we're like, you know what? We love Star Wars. It, we're huge fans. Um, it's just this kind of pop culture phenomenon that just it's survived for so long and you know when you when you take all the jokes that have been around for 30 years and and you and you put them all together it's just, it's it's fun it's just sheer fun is what it is yeah we we're we're huge fans of star wars i mean we studied the movies we had movie marathons with the entire cast where we looked at it and we said what do we want to put in this and of course with fringe we're a little limited we only get an hour so there was a lot of stuff in there that we were like we need this it's so important if you understand star wars that we just had to let go so that we can fit it into the hour i think it was like an hour and 40 minutes when we started <laughs> workshopping we cut about 40 minutes of stuff it, it yeah and then, so we, we reviewed the movies. I was a big fan of Wikipedia, and it's mm-hmm. where just everyone has entered all of the information they have on Star Wars. We also downloaded a dictionary of Star Wars insults so that we could be sure to use, like, insults that were used in the universe make its way into our show. Like, most of these, like, bucket heads and scruffy-looking nerf herder, those are in the movies. And so we made sure to find those. We weren't making up our own insults. You're just a scoundrel and a scruffy. Also, um, things make it in there from other parts of the Star Wars universe. So some things like um, Great Gobs of Bantha Poodoo. That is literally a line from the Star Wars universe from one of the, um, you know, like like Rebel 1 TV show type type deals. So it's not just the movies. It's kind of like all these other aspects that real, you know, diehard Star Wars fans may recognize from other places too. I think you even pulled some lines from t-shirts. Yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we, we pulled we pulled from from everywhere. It was yeah, we had a lot of fun doing all the research. It was very important to us to make sure that the show is accessible to people who are not very familiar with Star Wars. And I know we had people in the audience who, you know, they saw it once when they were a kid or they've never seen it at all or they saw it. But, you know, casually, they're not that into it. So and I think we did a great job of making a show that's accessible and still funny and still cool and still enjoyable for people who aren't deep into that universe. But we wanted to throw those little extra things in for the Star Wars super fans. Stuff that that maybe there's even just going to be the one guy back in the corner who, you know, we drop one of those little obscure jokes and you just hear him in the back, ha, ha, 
I get it. You know, we... <laughs> We, we know that there are those super fans. I mean, obviously, Star Wars is this incredibly pervasive cultural force that has this gigantic universe built around it and has been around for 40 years now. So there are people who this is their entire life. There are people who have Star Wars themed weddings uh, who name their kids after characters in the movie. And for those people, we wanted to make sure to, to reach out to them and give them a shout out like here's this one's for you. Now, while the voices are all very polished, describe the look of the show because you guys have some fun with do-it-yourself props and costumes and things like that. As the artistic director of the piece, that was something that we started with Laymage and wanted to bring over to Phantom because we are a very low-budget theater company. I mean, it's literally run out of the pockets of Summer Shane and I. That's where our money comes from. And obviously the people who come to see our shows. Thank you for supporting us. Yeah, so I kind of sit there and I look at the show and I'm like, okay, if I had to make the show out of only things I could find in my house, what would I use? Because that's kind of where it starts. And then as we get some additional funds, that's where we get some of the nicer props. But it literally starts from walk around my apartment. Okay, we need a, uh, what's it? The, a Death Star. What do we have? Oh, there's an exercise ball. It's great. There we go. And I throw it to Andrea and I'm like, make this into a Death Star. So I put a lot of trust <laughs> on um, Patrick O'Connor and Andrea Pullum, who are our um, props and costume people, respectively. And it's so fun to see what they come up with because I'll say, okay, we need X-Wings. Show me what you got. And then he, originally we were going to have like blow up kitty floaties and that kind of died so he shows up to our tech rehearsal with what you see in the show the handheld x-wings and death stars which are made out of the tie fighters are child's uh kickboards foam kickboards um on like milkshake straws <laughs> and the x-wings i think are just styrofoam pieces that he painted um and they're in you know the shape of an x he, it was genius. <laughs> and all this stuff you see in the show that looks a little nicer, that comes from our cast. Like, they bought their own. We looked and we're like, we can either spray paint white t-shirts or you guys can buy Stormtrooper costumes that we found online. And they're so great. They're like, we want to buy Stormtrooper costumes. <laughs> they let us, like, cut them in half, like, the masks in half so it has the Phantom of the Opera. So, like, everything low budget came from our apartments. Everything that looks a little nicer came from the actors themselves because that's... That's how much, like, they put faith into the piece. They know it's going to do well. They're not afraid to put their own money into it. And that was that was kind of an eye-awakening thing for us that we're like, oh, we have something here. Like, our actors believe in us, and they are going to put money into our show as well. For those listening, <laughs> the lights went off. We're very scared. And they're not going back on despite trying to get the motion detectors to recognize us. All right. We have some, we have some mood lighting now, some very deep, sensual mood lighting. Another thing about <clears throat> costumes and props, also something that we've talked about a lot is, like, where's that line between do it yourself because that's the style we're going for and do it yourself because we don't, we, we don't have money? And, and the look is very comedic we we do things like the exercise death star and the the kickboard uh tie fighters because they're they're funny we, we do them to get on purpose to to get a reaction to be i can't believe they just did that kind of a, a shock value uh, so some things are you know chosen like that intentionally yeah. super silly mm -hmm. yeah like with lay midge because um, we're also doing you know, lay midge for for comic-con with the make your own beards i mean they're 
the things that our cast has come up with for making a beard. Because, you know, in the Hobbit movie, their beards are crazy. They're, it looks like, you know, they spent hours and hours braiding their beards into these crazy shapes. So we wanted to kind of go for that feel, but in a very do-it-yourself way, too. And you also have a lovely uh, Han and Carbonite. Oh, yes. <laughs> that is, I think our prop master said that it is his favorite prop in the whole show, is the the cardboard cutouts um, spray-painted in chrome with the hand, the hand pop-outs, and you just see Andrew, uh, who's Han, his face, you know, sticking out of a hole, and he just kind of shuffles across stage. It's really funny. <laughs> that was one of my better ideas, because <laughs> a lot of them went by the wayside, but that one, that one we kept, so I was happy about that. <laughs> now, you also mentioned the Death Star... But tell us what your Death Star actually is on stage. <laughs> Our Jake, the guy who plays Darth Vader, he was sitting outside on his porch. I think he was just like having a beer or something and he looked at it. And he was like, they're saying they want an exercise ball and this one's silver. So we literally gave it to Andrea. We're like, can you make this a Death Star? It's, it's an exercise blow-up ball. So the first thing she does is she just pops it. And we're like, oh, okay, I hope this will work. <laughs> There's no going back now. And then we looked at it, and it's actually pretty small. So we looked around our cast, and we're like, Candace, you're like the most petite person here. You're the Death Star. And it just so happened that she can dance on points. She, she's, a, she's a trained ballerina. So we're like, well, that worked out conveniently. <laughs> so literally, Andrea cut a hole in the head and the arms, and we just kind of like tugged it on over her. And we're like, okay, it fits. And so then she went and she stuffed it and like lined it and made it a lot nicer than I thought it needed to be. So that's a t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. So she just kind of kept sewing and stuffing and then we got our Death Star. It was really funny. So your Death Star is a ballerina out there. Yes. Yes. (laughs) On point. What's funny funny is uh, we went through so many ideas for the Death Star. We're like... Do we make it a cardboard cutout? Do we make it a ball on a string? Do we It was like, a pinata at one a, point that we were going to break open and have candy inside, but we're like, it takes so long yeah. to break it open. We can't do it. But we, we went for the idea that had more movement, and, and we wanted to make the Death Star, you know, a person that could actually die. You know, we it was it was something that we talked about in length, and that's the idea that ended up coming to fruition, so we're pretty happy with it. And I'm happier with the way it ended up. Originally, it was going to be an actor in a white T-shirt that said, I am the Death Star on it. And we were just going to, like, mug it. Like, everyone's going to, like, beat him up, like, punching and kicking. And then it kind of became more Star Wars. We rounded it out, got our X-Wings and TIE Fighters, and put her in a exercise ball Death Star suit. So it really worked out. And and that scene, because the destruction of the Death Star is such an iconic part of Star Wars, is one of the most well-known, climactic parts of the entire trilogy... We knew we needed to do justice to that in some way. And, you know, even though a lot of the show is very sort of DIY and, uh, you know, going for a sort of casual aesthetic, we knew this scene had to really do it. You know, we had to respect our audience and give them something great and give them something cool for that scene. And I love what we did with the Death Star and with the, the sort of black swan style ballerina death because I love that it's an homage to to the Phantom side of our show. I mean, we've talked a lot about the Star Wars aspect, but I think also we've done a lot to really give a shout out to the Phantom of the Opera and to honor the the sort of ballet and operatic side of that, I think was a really inspired move. And I, I hope that the audience felt like that uh, gave them something to remember for the destruction of the Death Star. Another nice addition, I thought, was the little three-way bromance 
that you guys have between mm-hmm. Han and Chewie and Lando. So who came up with that? It was during one of our Star Wars marathons, actually. The girl who plays R2-D2, uh, Krista Barnes, she was she was there and we were watching it. And I was taking, you know, furious notes like, oh, okay, we got to have this line in there somewhere. And, oh, this is a really good thing to make fun of. I was like, you know, I... I, we got to do something with Chewie and Han. I mean, it's like the ultimate, they're the ultimate bro team. I mean, they're just like the best friends, even, you know, especially in, in the new movie. It's like they're together forever. And she was like, you know, he's kind of like the gay best friend. <laughs> I was like, light bulb. And so I just ran with it. This is before I really had started writing anything. So I just ran with it. And we just kind of ended up with like, you know, they're bros till the end. And then it's like awkward because you meet, like an ex of your of the guy that you like, and then they show up and you, they're like super happy to see each other. And you're just like, this isn't right. I'm his best friend. Like a, I'm the one in his life now. And then you, he breaks up the the secret handshake and. And then you know we got to give props to our actors on that one too. The three of them, Han, Lando, and Chewie. Everything that you see on the stage, yeah, we kind of gave them a little bit of character direction. Like, this is kind of the relationship we're going for. They came up with the handshake. Robert is crazy good at his his characterization. Like, we didn't have to really give them any kind of direction as far as specifics. They just did it, and that's that's a real testament to the kind of people that we have in our cast too. Yeah, I I, just, I think that it gives uh, a really funny new spin on how protective Chewie is of Han throughout the the series. You know, I, I feel like a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of the humor and a lot of the jokes that we we included about Star Wars are, you know, things that, that are are, go- are going to be very familiar to Star Wars fans. You know, the stormtroopers can't shoot right, and the Ewoks are these ridiculously cute little teddy bears who are also, like, savage, murderous villagers. You know, and I think we, we paid homage to a lot of, like, classic jokes and and stuff that people have said over and over about Star Wars. But that, the, like, Chewie is the gay best friend thing, I think that was, like, something that was really new and novel and original to us. I'm really proud of that. And you guys are planning to perform this during Comic-Con. So what was the impetus behind this? How did this come up? Was it because you found a place to do it? Uh, no, actually, we, we got approached... Um, by some of the people from Fringe, from the Fringe Festival um, team. And they're like, you know, we, we'd really like to put uh, a show in the Jeffrey, which is the Fringe space, uh, during Comic-Con. And, you know, the first, the first thing that popped in our head was Les Midge from last year. Um, and this was before, when was this? Like February, January of this year? So it was before we had even really started rehearsing for Phantom. So Phantom wasn't really a thing yet. And so it was mostly going to be just Les Midge. And then as it kind of developed into this, okay, well, we, we think we're actually going to do this. It was, well, you know, why don't, why don't you go ahead and do both? You know, Phantom of the Empire seems pretty interesting too. So why don't you guys do both? And, and so it just, it developed into this kind of double header, uh, double, double trouble geek night, if you will, um, <laughs> with Lameage at seven and Phantom of the Empire starting at 8.15 and you can buy tickets to both or just one, but buy tickets to both because they're both really great. <laughs> And what's great about it is it doesn't require the Comic-Con badge. So it's it's accessible to anyone who's going to be in or around town during those dates, uh, July 21st through July 24th. And you're also 
within walking distance of Comic-Con, so people don't actually have to, like, repark their cars or get out of the convention completely. Yeah, and we're also sharing the Spreckle space with Conan O'Brien. He does his um, Comic-Con late night in the theater, the main stage of Spreckles. So it's kind of nice because we have all of that right next door, too. So we're hoping to have a few celebrity spottings. We'll see what happens. <laughs> we're, we're hoping Conan will just sort of just sort of drift over in, in a haze. You know, he'll be so busy and so stressed out that he just... He'll just end up in our space somehow, and uh, we just won't let him leave. Um, if you're listening, Conan, uh, we want you. We want you to see our show. I, I love you. I, I love you, Conan. <laughs> Come see my show, Conan. Oh, my God. Not so subliminal messaging. <laughs> Now, when you were writing both of these shows or working on both of these shows, what was your goal in terms of the kind of humor? Because it, it feels like it comes from a place of affection for both The mm -hmm. Hobbits and uh, Star Wars. So what was kind of the, the goals that you had in mind when you were starting to put these together? Well, um, speaking specifically about Phantom, since, you know, we wrote that in-house, we wanted to build on the kind of success that Lay Midge had, but also make it its own thing. Um, you know, we always worry about how, how to present something new and fresh and not just the same thing over and over again with a different story. You know, I, I can't really speak for the writers of Les Midge, but I know that when we were producing it with their direction, of course, they were, you know, we were always constantly back and forth is really, yeah, from a place of love, um, from a place of affection, we, you know, we love these things and we also want to give the audience a new perspective as well. Cause you know, the Hobbit's been around for how many years? For it seems like forever, um, but it's really just recently with the movies that it's really become mainstream. That people—it's a household name. You know who Bilbo Baggins is. How do you do? My name's Baggins. These are my halflings and my friends. Nothing to look at, nothing tall. Got shoeless feet. Our homes are small. Think you're tall like a tree? Follow me. Follow me. So with Phantom of the Empire, with Star Wars, Star Wars is a little bit well, more well-known in relationship to how long it's been around. And you got to be careful with things that, that people love and people know and they're worldwide. We must take our aim at the weakest link in that big Death Star's chain. This is our one chance to really stick it to the man. There is but one spot where one single hit will cause a chain reaction. The Death Star will explode and will at last have won the day. And the Empire will fall. And they'll finally get to fly. I'll stay here so I don't die. Yeah, well, good luck with that. Yeah, so we just, we wanted to, to do the comedy in a way that really paid tribute to it, but really gave a fresh and new perspective on it. Well, and as the director of the piece, the, the, the comedy that I really think people get and that I like seeing in the show is jokes where they can go, I have thought that same thing. So, like, for me, a lot of, and, like, especially in Phantom, we have some slapstick jokes that are, like, given to the audience. We literally search Star Wars memes. And we're like, what are things that people are currently in the media making fun of about Star Wars? How can we bring that into our show? 
Like, I don't want it to be all of these epiphanies. Like, some of them, yeah, we come up with on our own, but I, I think the humor comes from when people are like, I watched that, and I thought the same exact thing. Why do Han and Chewie have this semi, semi-romantic relationship? What, what is that about? And that's kind of where I find the most humor in our shows. And talk about how you mash it up with these well-known musicals, too. Because uh, you might not immediately think that The Hobbits and Les Mis go together, so... <laughs> One of the things that I love about this whole musical movie mashup thing that we're doing is I do think that we're highlighting or sort of spotlighting these deep structural connections between the pieces that may not immediately be apparent to people when we were first presented with Les Midge, it was such a, a profound moment for me to go, yeah, I mean, they're both about these sort of ragtag bands of adventurers joining together to stand up against these sort of very powerful, very sinister forces. And I think that's what makes Les Midge work so well. It is funny and it is clever, but it also reveals something deep that's connected about those two pieces. And with Phantom of the Empire, we also wanted to spotlight how Star Wars and Phantom of the Opera are both, I mean, George Lucas has always described Star Wars as a combination of a Western and an opera in space. And how it is, it's this sort of very melodramatic story of good versus evil, a a sort of, to use a technical term, a Bildungsroman, a coming of age story with a young man finding his own inner strength to rise up against, uh, you know, the, the dark forces uh, that are trying to corrupt him and, and triumphing over those. And uh, it's a very operatic structure. And so I think it works great with the operatic nature of Phantom of the Opera. And also the connection between Darth Vader and the Phantom, both of these sort of tortured, evil genius figures, you know, young and, and beautiful and talented in their youth. They were corrupted and damaged both mentally and emotionally and also physically. Now you got him he's disarmed yes pun intended deadbeat dad is now key to your future with me and i think there is a deep connection there that we explored and it may not come out through all of the jokes and the the slapstick and the the references but that's something that to me animates our work in a way that I think for the real fans, they I hope that they got that connection somewhat and put that together. In, initially, when we were first bouncing around this idea, before we had even put Lamidge up at uh, Fringe is when we kind of first came up with this idea, was for me, the big thing was this whole idea of a story about redemption and the unmasking of something. Because in both stories, you have an unmasking of the of the mysterious figure. And that to me was really important. I'm like, you know, these these the, what makes it really jive is that kind of, yeah, it's a mashup. We don't do too much of Phantom of the Opera. There's a couple nods if you're a Phantom of the Opera fan, you'll you'll notice. But the big thing is this kind of lining up similar storylines. And we had bounced around the idea of doing it as like a three-show installment mm-hmm. for each movie because there's so much in each movie. And we're like, we could do a different musical for each movie. And, you know, because there have been shows at Fringe where it's installments and you and you come back and you see all three all three parts. Um, it, w- it was going to be a lot of work. And, and what I kept coming back to was, you know, they unmask uh, Darth Vader in episode five. And so, but then the end of Phantom of the Opera... 
is the you know the unmasking and so i it just all it all came back to we got to tell the one story it, it's a continuous story yeah they go on you know lots of different adventures this continuous story about kind of redemption and the unmasking of the mystery what has been kind of the biggest challenge on each of these shows what was kind of the the thing that proved to be a big obstacle in each show the worry that it's only funny to us <laughs> um, yes. that's yeah. always our biggest concern because we rehearse these for months and then finally it's getting close and we're like okay, we're not laughing in rehearsal anymore, and we were at first, and what's going to happen? And so we always go into our previews so stressed that, like, what if no one laughs? What if nothing happens? And even just our two-minute preview for Fringe, which is was a show that's a song that's not in the show. We wrote it specifically for previews. The fact that we had people clapping and laughing, and we were like, okay. It's funny. <laughs> so you that's, do love me. <laughs> so, because that's our end goal. Our end goal is really to have people, you know, different shows have different um, motivations. And I've been somewhere it's, it needs to be cathartic and people need to feel something at the end and they might cry and that's what we're going for. For me as a director with these shows, there's always so many aspects and I like that people enjoy. But for me, it's I want the audience to have a fun time. Like, we don't take ourselves too seriously, and we don't want the audience to take the show too seriously. I mean, we, we work really hard. The acting and singing is great, but it's there so that people can laugh and just walk out of there being like, I just had a great hour. That was so fun. I'd love to come back and have another fun time. Uh, I know, I'm sure, for Summer, writing the lyrics, I'm sure, was a, a beast, and it's incredible, the work that she did. I, I guess on on my end, uh, you know, I sort of contributed uh, more of... Uh, how are we going to characterize certain characters and, um, you know, like having R2-D2 as this sort of like obnoxious younger sister of C-3PO riding around on a scooter. That was an idea that Summer and I kind of teamed up on. Um, that's the kind of thing is finding new takes on these characters. We didn't want it to just be, oh, Andrew, do your best Harrison Ford impression. We really wanted to make each of these characters totally new and keep something true about them from the films, but also have it be each of us has our own unique, really funny original take on the characters. So I think that's always the biggest challenge is finding ways to take old, established, well-known characters and make them new somehow, but still make them recognizable. Big obstacle that I, I thought, and, and it may have just been so big in my head as the main writer, but uh, was, was the workshopping process. Just, you know, you, you start out with something that's an hour and a half, hour, 40 minutes long. You got to chop it down to an hour, 50 minutes ideally, so you have some time for things to go wrong <laughs> you know there's so it's like you love everything that's in there and it's like oh all these things are really funny yes but do they contribute to the overall show um are they only funny to the three people who who get it are they going to be funny to the to the mass majority and you know that's where the relationship that i have with with shane and jordan comes into play as you know production team is they they take a look and it's like yeah it's funny but it doesn't really work or, you know, that shouldn't be the focus. Like, we're getting off on a tangent. Like, it's not. Um, also, I'm a real big stickler about uh, making plot lines really clear um, as kind of a, a writer. And um, I'm a big reader. And so I'm like, when if a plot line is not clear, it just it detracts from it. People will leave confused. They're like, well, I don't really know how they got from point A to point B. And then, you know, they're here they're like, everybody knows Star Wars. Just throw it out. We don't need to we don't need to tell them how that happened. And I'm like, no, but there could be like 10 people in the audience who have never seen Star Wars. And I don't want to leave them out, you know. So it's finding that balance uh, between everything and make sure we tell the story in a cohesive and digestible way. 
Dear audience, we took a journey to Jabba's hut with all our friends, where apparently the plan was to trade us in. Not for real. We were captured and endangered. I said I had a bad feeling about this. Leia snuck inside at night and saved her man from the carbonite, but then both of them were caught and kept. And she was put in a most revealing dress. Master Luke showed up at last. And he was captured just as fast. We were taken to the Sarlacc, a giant sandy slug with teeth. The plan was that we'd be the monster's meal. Well, not us. Just Luke and Leia, Chewie, Lando, Han. Ah, too. I think they get the point. Jabba didn't know that Luke's a Jedi. A Jedi Knight with killer moves. And he helped all the rest to escape that death. Otherwise, we'd both be stuck in Jabba's lair reflecting on our sad, meaningless lives. Could each of you pick a favorite musical moment, like a, a lyric or a, a song or something that you guys came up with in the music side of this that you'd like to highlight? I'd say one just because of the way it came about is in We Can't Aim, we were recording it in the studio, which is also Summer's family room. Um, <laughs> and we were just kind of singing along and then we get to the dance break. So we're just kind of singing along. And I was like, what if all of a sudden C-3PO just declares his love for R2-D2? So out of nowhere, Shane just threw out like this. Maybe it's one of those things that's only funny to us, but that is probably just because it came out of nowhere and we were in the studio and we're just like, sing it, record it, lay it down. And it ended up, I think, being a really funny moment. I think my favorite part of the show, just because it's really impressive to me, is the intricate interlocking vocal lines that happen during uh, the finale song, the uh, the big confrontation between Luke and Vader and the Emperor, uh, just because there's so much going on. And uh, it's, it's really amazing how complex we were able to get these three characters interlocking into this really cool sounding song. And that's actually, that was one of the songs where uh, Past the Point of No Return, which is probably my favorite song from Phantom of the Opera from Weber's original musical, we had to drastically shorten that ending number just for time reasons. But those who bought the CD or have heard our recording uh, will actually hear, I guess, what has now become a bonus track. <laughs> um, because before we cut that, we did record this full, huge finale number, past the point of no return, uh, into the, the, the song directly after it. And I just, I love how cool and complex and uh, intricate that came out. Past the point of no return, you will obey me. We're at the bridge, but your taunting will not work. I will kill your friends and you with this new Death Star, and Endor will be blown to smithereens. We didn't know that this thing worked, you crazy bastard, I'll kill you. At last the dark side will have one you. Last the point of no return, we're at the threshold
think my favorite part is the droid song, which what we did was, if you know Phantom of the um, Opera, the two opera owners, they're like some of my favorite characters in Phantom of the Opera because they're just so funny. I mean, they're on... They're, like, right in the middle of all this craziness that's happening um, at the opera house, and yet they really have no power to do anything. Like, they, they don't, they can't change what's happening. They don't really know exactly what's going on, but they're there, and they're in it. And they always have these great, uh, they have great songs in that. So we took kind of the song, if you are familiar with Family Opera, it's the note song, um, where they've gotten all these notes from the Phantom. And uh, I, I took it and I wrote it as, like, a we call it, nickname it the Jabba Recap. So it's it's C-3PO and R2-D2 singing about what went down at um, Jabba the Hutt, rescuing Han from the Carbonite. And I think it's just my favorite thing, not only because Shane and Krista, who play um, uh, C-3PO and R2, respectively, do such a great job at just being so flabbergasted with everything that's happening. And they're just along for the ride, and they get like traded in and they didn't know they were going to get traded in and um it's just it's mayhem and i think it's just so fun it's my favorite song one more thing that you should all know before we end this epic tale vader sent boba fett to collect payment but he failed eaten by the sarlacc what a nasty way to go though but he's out of all our hair now that's a minor when compared to all, all the, the crap, crap that we put, put up with the dismantling and the chasing and the, and the guns you've got all these people coming out to comic-con 125,000 people so how are you how can you pitch this show to them why should people from comic-con take the time to come out and visit your show it's just a blast it's got something for everybody you know like i said earlier we were so committed to making sure that the, the nerds in the audience the people who have spent their entire life loving Star Wars and loving The Hobbit and absorbing all of the trivia and all the little obscure minutiae of these universes. To have them come out and see those things sort of blown up into these big musical extravaganzas, I think it's going to be really satisfying. And I think for a lot of people who go to Comic-Con who uh, maybe would never go see a musical normally, this will be a great way to appreciate what musical theater has to offer, but in a way that connects to the, the fandoms that they love the most. So come and see. You never thought you'd see Chewbacca singing, uh, but now you can. So do it. Um, I think why I think to do is because it's so unique. There's nothing else there like that. Even one of our reviews from Fringe said, Turning Tides has done it again for a second year. How has no one ever thought of this? Mixing up like a blockbuster hit and a musical theater Broadway hit into an hour-long, fun-filled show full of just jokes and great music and great acting. And it's something that at this point, hopefully no one steals our ideas, that you can't see anywhere else. There's nothing else like this currently out there. I think if you really want the full Comic-Con experience, you, you've got to... You've got to take advantage of this of this crazy opportunity that we're we're giving all the Comic Con people. I mean, you go to Comic Con all day and and you're you know shopping around for the action figures and for the art and and you're standing in line for hours and hours to see the panels. Um, and that's that's all great. I mean, all super fun. And who doesn't want to see you know Harrison Ford at a panel talking about playing Han Solo? That would be awesome. I want to go someday. Uh, you you step out of that and and you. 
you want to be entertained. Like I feel like some you want to sit there and you want people to bring the the comic and the geekiness to you, and that's what we're doing. You just have to show up at the theater, and we'll bring you all the geekiness you've wanted all day. And do you guys have to worry about any kind of copyright issues with this? <laughs> D- dare I ask? Well, as far as plot goes, it's all parody, so so that's that's fine. We buy licensed karaoke tracks from like YouTube, uh, not YouTube, uh, iTunes. So we don't understand a lot of the legalities going into it. But from what we've looked like, as long as we purchase licensed tracks, we've been told we're fine. So maybe we're just waiting for the day the cease and desist comes in the mail. But until then, it's going to be a great ride. And if, if anyone knows more about that, give us a call. <laughs> We're also, we're also, you know, we're very small and, you know, we, we don't do a lot in sales as far as, you know, CDs and things like that, but we're pretty, we're pretty secure in our knowledge of, of, you know, the rules of parody. So we're, we're, we feel pretty confident there. Um, we're also, you know, as, as we get, you know, more support and, uh, become a little more successful at what we do, we're hoping to just be able to, you know, move on and, and create our own, um, you know, music tracks and, and become really self-sufficient in-house. So that's our that's our goal. All right. Well, I want to thank you all very much and uh, can't wait to see how this does at Comic-Con. <laughs> thank, thank you. <laughs> Come see us. Thanks for listening to another edition of the KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. The Turning Tides productions of Les Midge and The Phantom of the Empire will be running at the Jeffrey Off-Broadway in San Diego, just outside of Comic-Con. The plays will be running in conjunction with each other and can be seen Wednesday through Sunday during Comic-Con. Because Comic-Con is coming up next week, I'm not sure when I'm going to get the next podcast up because I'll be working the whole convention. But please be patient, and you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, or you can go to kpbs.org slash junkiepodcast. And again, thanks for listening. KPBS On Demand is supported by the National Conflict Resolution Center. Topics like political polarization and hybrid work policies can create workplace conflict. NCRC can help workplace leaders navigate divisive issues with the culture, communication, and conflict certificate. More at ncrconline.com.